having suffered a horrendous motorcycle accident, Bob Dylan sat recuperating in a hotel room for months and months on end, where he began, he says, to study the Bible in some depth, and eventually, after many weeks and many months, to use his own words, Bob Dylan felt a conviction of sin, and he felt the hand of Jesus, is how he puts it. Now, if you know that story, you'll perhaps know how uh, news of Dylan's conversion was greeted by the musical press of the time. People were outraged at news of Dylan's conversion. People were dismayed. And maybe you this morning can see why they were. Like here's the, you know, the mouthpiece of his generation, the, the focal point of that new sort of 60s liberal revolution, now writing songs centered around the Lord Jesus Christ, now suddenly writing lyrics like this. I'll quote you some Dylan. Will I start with, he's converted, he says, and then he writes this in one of his songs. You either got faith or you got unbelief. And there ain't no neutral ground. You either got faith or you got unbelief. And there ain't no neutral ground. And journalists couldn't cope. They couldn't hack this, you know, the mouthpiece of his generation. Now speaking about the stark choice before all humanity. Dylan now saying it's either Christ or condemnation. That's it. There's your choice. Christ or condemnation. It's either life or death. Well, if we know anything in this room this morning, we know that Society has moved on a pace since 1978, hasn't it? And if people in the 1970s hated talk of the uniqueness of Christ, then surely that is all the more apparent, it's all the case today. But the question we have this morning is this, is it correct? I mean, is there Really, friends, this stark choice before humanity, is it really Christ or condemnation? Or is this, uh, what will, how would we describe this, easygoing, syncretistic tolerance that's promoted by our society in London? Is that real? Is that right? And is it acceptable to God? Well, this morning, what we do is we begin our descent towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And we come to this morning what is a metaphor where the Lord Jesus Christ portrays you as a traveler. You're on a journey in this metaphor in the ancient world. And as we study these verses this morning, I never thought I'd ever say this in a sermon at all. But as we study these, what I think we're going to find today is that in this instance, Bob Dylan got it spot on. Bob Dylan got it right. That really, there is a choice. It is either faith and repentance in the Lord Jesus Christ or judgment for our sin. So, you know what I'm going to say? Have we got our Bibles open and ready? And we turn to this portion of Scripture. If not, get there to Matthew 7 and verse 13. There's only two verses this morning. And so what I want us to do in a sh- for a short time today 
is to think about the contrasts that we see in these two verses. There are a few contrasts you've got in front of you in verses 13 and 14. So I want us to think about them, the contrast before us. And the first one is to think about the contrast between the two gates. To think about the two gates. Is everyone with me? We know where we are, do we? Yeah, we do. Got the metaphor, you got the picture. We're in the first century world. You and I are on a roadway in the first century world. So what's it going to be like? It's going to be hot, right? And it's going to be dusty. Yeah, you get it? Before you right now in this metaphor, before you on this roadway is a fork on the road, everyone. You've got a choice before you. And so we can go one direction and take this route to one side that leads through this massive, wide, welcoming access. We can go that way through a wide access, or the alternative alternative is to go through what Jesus calls, do you notice what he calls it? He calls it a narrow gate. So I'm scratching my head a little bit here. Like, what's going on? What are we dealing with? Why does Jesus call this? What is he talking about when he calls it a narrow gate? Why a narrow gate? Well, years ago, many, many years ago, uh, my wife and I were on holiday. And during this holiday, uh, one afternoon, we found ourselves in this castle, this old kind of fort uh, down in the south of France we were at the time. And I, this afternoon, that afternoon, was feeling really quite adventurous for a change. And so what I wanted to do, I wanted to, to go through this tiny little doorway, this tiny little narrow opening in the castle wall. I'll tell you why I wanted to do it. I could see through this tiny little uh, entranceway, and there was a little staircase, and it led to a turret up above, okay? So feeling adventurous at this moment, it's like, right, I want, I want to do that. I, I want to go and check that out. So I want to get through that little gap in the wall. There was a problem, however, because at this point in time, our son was about 18 months old. And I'd spent the whole of the holiday carrying our son around in one of these sort of backpack-type yeah, constructions, contraptions. Okay, and you, and you can see maybe what the problem was, can you? No matter how hard I tried, I could not, with him on my back, get through. I could not fit through this tiny little gap in the wall. You can imagine it, can you? He's on my back, and his little legs are sort of kicking about here, you know? And he's got a big head, does my son. So his head was sticking up about here. And so, of course, I'm trying to squeeze through this little gap in the wall, and he's getting scratched, and he's moaning. He's beginning to... So what did I do? Everybody knows what I did. I took him off. Didn't I? So oh, I'm heavy as well. So I'm taking him off and I, and I put him down and I leave him with his mother for a few moments and I try and squeeze through the gap in the wall and I get up the stairs and I get into the turret and I have a look around. Why am I talking about that? I mean, surely you see that there's an, Jesus is drawing a similar idea here. Do you not see it? That compared with the wide access to the way of the world, listen, the kingdom of God demands our willingness to take off much and leave it behind. And if you are a Christian in this room this morning, do you not know that that is true? Surely you do. 
to follow, we have to be willing to remove our self-righteousness. Christian friends, isn't that true? To follow Christ, we have to be willing to undress ourselves of pride. And we have to be willing to strip away our self-centeredness. Don't we, as Christians, don't we? We have to be willing to relinquish our sin. You surely see the point to go through the narrow gate of the kingdom of God. There has to be this willingness to take off much and to leave it behind. And maybe, here's the deal, maybe this morning you're not a Christian and already you're thinking, that doesn't sound particularly pleasant to me. Is that you this morning? This idea that we've got to relinquish our pride, we've got to divest ourselves of our sinful baggage, ourselves, you know, maybe you're thinking, sitting there thinking, this doesn't sound pleasant. This actually, Andy, this sounds humiliating. Do you know what I would say back to you? Yeah. I mean, bowing to the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and confessing your sin to him is a humbling reality. But the joy of forgiven sin, friend. And maybe, maybe you recognize what's happening right now at this moment. And it is so special. It is so special because look at the start of verse 13. Do you see this morning that there is but one imperative? There is one instruction, one command for you if you're not a Christian. Do you see what it is that this morning, right now, through his word, the Lord Jesus Christ, he implores you to enter in. Through his word, implores you to come into the kingdom of God. That's happening just now. Isn't it special Christ imploring you to enter the narrow gate? So we see a contrast with two gates. Let's look at the next contrast, shall we? Maybe you see what it is. We see also a contrast with two paths next. Two paths. Now, have a look back with me to to God's words and to these verses. Because now, do you see what happens? Jesus speaks not just of these gates, but at this point, Jesus speaks of what is through these gates. So he speaks of the roadway through these different gates. Can, can you look with me to see how they are described? So if we look through the wide gate, this big wide access, do you notice what is said about the pathway? It is in verse 13. The pathway through that gate is easy. Right? We get it? And then you look in the other direction. You look through the narrow gate. And, and what is said there? Do you notice the term? That through the narrow gate, the... The way is hard. What is this about? Surely, friends, this morning, surely you see what is being said there. On one hand, in life, we could choose to follow the way of the... Isn't that right? And I stand before you and I say, isn't that actually an easy route? I mean, think about with me, the think about life according to the standards of society in London. Or the stand, life according to the standards of society in the West generally. How would we describe that path? Isn't it a nice little meander along a broad and undemanding path? Isn't it life according to the standards of 
London. It is a gently descending track where there is no limitations on either side of this track. Isn't that right? Life according to the standards of London. In this track, there's no bounds on sexual proclivity. Is there? I mean, there's no barrier to belief at all. The way of this world is soft underfoot, isn't it? It's a gentle path. It's an easy journey with no exertion required. And then you must compare that with what is said about the kingdom of God. And again, I want to speak to you, the Christian people in this room. Do you not agree with what Christ says here? That the way of the kingdom is a hard path. Don't we know that to be true, Christian friend? That in Christ Jesus, we are called to take the uphill route, aren't we, of broken and contrite hearts. What else is true of the Christian life? We are called to take a very, very, very narrow path. Isn't our path limited, constrained by the word of God? Isn't it, Christian friends? And what else do we know? We know that the terrain that we have to cover is so rough. As Christians, we have to clamber over barriers of love in other people that we don't want to love. <laughs> and we have to, to, to try and climb over obstacles of forgiving other people we don't want to forgive. We have to wade through rivers of serving our brothers and sisters in Christ. You see the point, don't you? And we fall. All the time as Christians, we trip and we trip on this path and these obstacles and we have to get up time and time and time again. Surely you see it, surely you see it, that the roadway of Christ-like living is a steep slope where everything is required of us. And yet, I can stand here with confidence, because what I know is this, every child of God in this room would affirm this truth, that it is worth it. Isn't it, Christian friend? Yes, this road that we are on, this journey that we're on is tough and it's rough and it's long. But isn't it the most blessed journey? I mean, think about it. If you're a Christian, you get to journey through life with the greatest ever traveling companion. The very Holy Spirit of God himself. What else do you know about this journey? It's tough and it's rough and it's long and it's hard, it's obstacles. But the sun of God's favor is out as we travel and it is shining on us. Yes, it's tough. Yes, it is rough. But isn't it beautiful all the same? To be able to journey for the glory and the honor and the praise of the Lord Jesus Christ. Doesn't it lighten our every step? So we see two gates, then we see two paths. But then there's a third contrast. We see also two destinations, two destinations. I would imagine that most of the people in this room at some point or other have uh, traveled to Scotland. So that case, most in this room have been north of the border. And I think because of that, probably a sizable proportion of you have had the misfortune of driving north of the border as well. If you've done that, you know that um, 
in Scotland, there is a main road. It's a kind of main artery in Scotland. It kind of dissects the country. And it's called the A9. So most of some of you, have, in a way, have heard of this. So it starts in Edinburgh, and it kind of goes up to Stirling, and then Perth, Pitlochry, and eventually gets to Inverness. Okay, now, if you've not done that, first thing I want you to appreciate is how tedious uh, that journey is, and how... How much a nightmare traveling on the A9 is. It's kind of renowned, proverbial for its roadworks, always. And it's slow going and there's not enough dual carriageway. And it's a nightmare. It's a complete nightmare of a road to drive, okay, the A9. That's the first thing I want you to appreciate. Second thing I want you to appreciate is how much it is worth your while. Okay, because hours of misery on this road and you're behind a camper wagon is doing like 18 miles an hour for you know 50 miles and you know you eventually you know you're traveling and there's no it's just road works and the whole thing eventually you get to the brow of a hill okay and you get to the brow of a hill you get to the top of the hill and then you get to the point you look down what do you see eventually after all this misery you see inverness <laughs> and Although potentially I may be biased about this a little bit. I know that if you were there in the car with me, you would agree that at that point after the brow of the hill, the view is beautiful. It really is beautiful because you're seeing Inverness from afar. Okay, so the view is beautiful. You get to the brow of the hill, you look down and you've got snow-capped mountains on one side. You really do. And you've got the, the Murray Firth, the waterway traveling in past Inverness. You've got beautiful bridge, forests. The whole shebang, it looks beautiful. You see the point I'm making? The point is, all of that misery in the road is worth the wait. Now, what you and I must not overlook this morning is that here in Matthew 7, Jesus is not just talking about a gate. And he's not just talking about a roadway or a path. But Jesus confronts us with the different ends of the respective journeys, with the different termini, the terminus of... The, the respective journeys. Now look at what he says and how he describes the different routes. Look at the end. Look at verse 13. So you've got this wide gate. We go through the way of the world. You've got this nice, soft, underflute, wide, lovely journey. It's a gently descending track. Where does it end? Look at that word. Look at the word. It ends in destruction. It leads to destruction. Now, I don't know about you, but that could be a little bit confusing, couldn't it? I mean, what is, what is Jesus saying there? Is he saying that all people outside of the kingdom of God, all people outside of Christ, they're journeying to a place where they will be annihilated? Is that what he's saying? They will be destroyed. They will just be eradicated and exist no more. Is that what he's saying? That is not what he's saying. I think the Lord Jesus Christ is confronting us there with, now listen to what I am saying. He confronts us with the experience of hell. That there he is saying that all those who are traveling unrepentant along the road of life, ignoring Jesus Christ, ignoring calls for confession of sin, eventually they end in a place that is absent of all goodness where there is no good at all, where all goodness has been destroyed. 
Now that's an immensely sobering thought for us, isn't it? Will you not linger on it for a moment? That the final destination of all those outside of Jesus Christ, consider it, is a place that is absent of any form of joy. There's no joy there. No joy. And it is a place without any inkling even of peace. That's hell. There is no contentment. Contentment is entirely unknown in this destination. Do you understand? Like love of any kind at any description has been removed. Now, this is what kills me as well. There is no companionship in hell. I mean, can you imagine that? And there is no friendship in hell. And there is, there is no family in hell. And there is no divine mercy on us. And there is no divine grace for us, shown to us. And if you're not a Christian, surely today, in the face of that, you shudder, don't you? And if you are a Christian, surely you resolve at this point to tell more people of the salvation that is freely offered them in the Lord Jesus Christ. Where's the end of this? What does he say? Destruction. But then, of course, we have the alternative. Now, look with me at this. Look at verse 14. What's the alternative? For all those who rest and receive Christ, for all those who enter that narrow gate by the grace of God, travel, where's, where's the end of it? Synonym for the kingdom of God. It is life. It is eternal life in Christ. And if you are a Christian this morning, will you not allow that word, that truth, that reality to spur you on? Because you think about what's happening right now. Think about what's happening. Think about our situation. Yes, you and I as Christians are on this hard road, uphill road. We fall, we trip and all of that. Don't you realize what's happening? The brow of the hill is coming into view. (laughs) Isn't it? Isn't that the reality for us? Heaven coming into view. And isn't the scene glorious for us as Christians? Soon, we will be with our God. Soon, we will be with our Lord and our Savior. And soon, you and I, Christian friend, will be in a place of unending joy. A peace like which we've never experienced before. We will be in a place of eternal rest an eternal calm. So surely it's obvious for us as the children of God what we must do. Do you know what Bob Dylan would tell us to do? To keep on keeping on. That as Christians, we must journey on because the reality we have is that you and I are nearly home. So we see two gates and we see two paths and we see two destinations. And then we close with the last of the contrast that your Lord draws here. I wonder if you see what it might be. The contrast between the two groups of travelers that we've got in this metaphor, the two groups of travelers. So here, let me just uh, ask you to think about the start of the sermon once again. Do you, do you remember the metaphor and where you and I are standing at this point in this portion? Do you remember where we are? We're on a roadway, aren't we? In the ancient world, hot and it's sunny. Before us is a fork on the road. And I said at the start of the sermon that we've got two gates. Remember, wide gate, narrow gate. But what else do you see? If you look 
to one direction, to the wide gate. Do you notice what Jesus says? He says that those who are entering that gate and traveling along that path are many. So you and I are looking, what we're seeing, we're seeing a multitude of people entering that wide gate and traveling that road. That There are numerous people who are ignoring the Lord Jesus Christ and his calls for repentance. A vast multitude. What a thought this is. Isn't it? A vast multitude today traveling along the way of the world, mindlessly not giving any thought to where that path leads. Isn't that the saddest of thoughts? And then the last alternative. If we look the other direction, what do we see in verse 14? This is a head scratcher, I think. Verse 14. Those who find the narrow gate are few. Yeah, we've got, we've got to wrestle with that one, do we not? I mean, we've got to handle it at least with care. Because what, what conclusion could you draw if you just look at that? Those who find the narrow gate are few. What conclusion could you draw? You could draw the conclusion that Jesus is saying that only a tiny amount of people in the end will be saved. Isn't that right? Those who find the narrow gate are few. You could think, oh, it's only an infinitesimally small number of people in the end who will experience the kingdom of God and come to faith in Christ and, and be saved. Isn't that right? Couldn't we draw that conclusion? If we did, we would be wrong. If we want to understand the Bible, what do we always have to do, friends? We have to compare Scripture with Scripture. And what happens if we compare it with Revelation 7? What would we find there? The truth that, in the end, those in the kingdom of God, those gathered around the throne, are a vast multitude. Isn't that inspiring for us? Isn't that exciting to think there's going to be people in heaven with us from all tribes and all nations and all tongues, all people gathered around that throne? So if Jesus isn't saying it's only an infinitesimally small number of people being saved, what is he saying? I think the answer is found in Luke chapter 13. And I don't need you to look there. Just look up here for a minute as we close. In Luke chapter 13, Jesus is asked about how many people will be saved in the end. And he gives a wonderful answer. I'll read it to you. Listen to this. So the questioner comes to Jesus and says, Lord... Will those who are saved be few? And listen to what Jesus does. He says to the questioner, you strive to enter through the narrow door. Do you see what Jesus does? He's questioned about the number who is saved. And instead, he encourages that questioner to focus on themselves. And friends, I think that is exactly what Jesus is doing in Matthew chapter 7 and what he's doing here right now. Do you see it? This morning in his word, the Lord Jesus Christ stresses the limitations on the number of people in the kingdom of God. Why? So that you and me will consider where we stand. Is everyone hearing it? He stresses the limitations on the number of people who will be saved so that you and I today will assess our own hearts and our own standing before God. And so I have to close the sermon in, in a kind of obvious but necessary way. And it is a question for everyone who is in this room just now, from young to not so young. Friends, you know the question. In which direction are you traveling this morning? Through which of the two gates have you gone? 
We're seeing as clear as day in God's word. You either got faith or you got unbelief and there ain't no neutral ground. So which way, friend, are you walking through? Which gate have you gone? Now, I wonder this. I wonder if it's true of you this morning that you are desperate to be reconciled with God. Someone who has found over the last number of weeks and number of months that you feel your sin, you're desperate for forgiveness, but you do not know where to go. You do not know where to turn. Is that you this morning? If so, I have wonderful, wonderful words for you. The best of news. Are you wondering where you go? For, you're standing on this roadway. Where do I go? Where do I turn? And Jesus says to you from John chapter 10, I am the gate. He who enters by me will be saved. Are you this morning wondering, how do I become reconciled with God? Then, friend, understand it is Jesus you need. His life, his righteousness, his atoning work. Will you not see that this morning? Will you not bow to the Lord Jesus Christ and by God's amazing grace today, Will you not enter through the narrow gate? Friends, let's bow our heads together and let's pray. Lord, we vow humbly to you, confessing our sin, but pleading with you that you might rest these words heavy on the shoulders of those who are not trusting in you this morning. Lord God, we thank you that it is only by your grace that you take us by the hand through the narrow gate. It is you who leads us there. It is you who travels with us along that hard path. It is you who has provided life at the end through your sin-bearing death. Lord God, we pray that you would awaken some to this truth, that you would help us as we struggle to walk in step with the Spirit. Lord, we pray these things, blessing your name, praising you. In Christ's name, amen.